Welcome, everyone, to Good Night and Good Game, your geek news roundup for the week that was. I'm your host, James, and with me this week, as always, is my co-host, Hector. Hello. And this week on the show, After the News, it's finally time to talk about Thor Love and Thunder. But before we start, don't forget that you can head over to goodnight.gg, where as a patron of our show, you can suggest topics for us to talk about. So before we go any further, I want to speak to our patrons right now, who are all wonderful, and thank you for being so patient with us. Um, I'm going to have a little bit of free time coming up um, very shortly. I'm going to be hammering out the script for The Expanse so that we'll get that recorded and taken care of so that that is met and up for y'all. Um, before the show, I spoke with Hector and what we want to do is with Halloween right around the corner, we'd like to really hammer out a lot of cool content for just our patrons. So what we're going to do is normally Hector and I get together a couple times a week and watch a movie or something of that nature. Hector's actually not seen a ton of horror movies. He's seen Mm -hmm. a a good amount, but not a ton. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to make a list of essential horror movies for Hector to watch. And those horror movies are going to be uh, things that I love. Not all of them will be just like straight slasher horror or anything like that. I'm really going to kind of comb the expanses of horror and like dive into it. Some of them will be silly. Some of them will be serious. And then what we'll do is for our patrons, we'll, we'll reconvene and we'll do a little mini uh, Patreon episode about the horror movie that you watched. And as an added bonus, when I get the list together, I'll actually post it so that all of our patrons can actually check out those movies before we watch them just so they know what we're talking about. Yeah. No, I love this idea very much. And I'm certainly not announcing this now. I I, I would like to talk about uh, it in the future. Mm. But I'd love to do the same thing with James with Hong Kong action movies in the future. I think that'd be great. I think that'd be some really good content. And I think you guys would get a kick out of having James watch all of the action content that he missed (laughs) in the past. That's very true. All right. So that's everything that we have for the opening. With all of that out of the way, it's time for the prelude. Prelude. Hey everyone, welcome to the Prelude. It's time to dive into what we've been up to this week, what we've been playing, what we've been watching, what's been occupying our free time, and what has been making us happy. So, Hector, what do you have for me this week? Well, okay, so we're going to divide this up into two sections. We're going to start with video games. Yeah, do it. I played two video games of note this week. They are not the only games I've played, but they're the ones that I want to talk about. Um... I talked a little bit last week about how I my home was blessed with a Steam Deck. Yes. And this has inspired me to go back and pick up some older games that I never really got around to playing in front of my PC that I really wanted to play, and now I can in front of my couch. Right. Or while I'm at work in front of my screen, or, mm. you know, in, in, or while I'm in line at the DMV, or wherever I am in with my bathroom. Steam Deck. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I picked up Axiom Verge. For anyone who doesn't know, about five years ago when the indie scene was just popping off, Axiom Verge came out as a real true-to-form Metroidvania in the style of classic NES Metroid, meaning 8-bit graphics, Mm -hmm. meaning, you know, minimal storytelling, a a harsh sense of feeling alone, and um, a lot of hidden... Secrets, which is a little redundant. A yeah. lot of secrets that you would have to search for and that the, the, the community would just discover as it continued playing the game. Right. And I never got very far into it, probably because it wasn't exactly like Metroid. And I, like, really needed to sit down and hunker in and, like, discover a new Metroidvania and all of the systems it was offering me, like, piece by piece. Yeah. Without knowing, like, oh, I'm about to get a double jump, and oh, I'm about to get a wall climb. None of that is in the game. Right. There's no double jump, there's no wall climb. That's not how we roll. Mm -hmm. We get new weapons and new tools that help us understand the world better, and that is it. Okay. So, 
Knowing that the actual sequel to this game was going to come out literally today, today as of recording, I believe it is the 11th of August, 2022, that the fact that it was coming out today made me download the original, which I knew I already owned, and play it on my Steam Deck. Nice. And man, is it good. If you're at all into Metroidvanias, if the idea of reliving your experience with Metroid for the NES or even Super Metroid or any of those games that make you feel like lost and alone in the world until you keep discovering more of it, um, I'm going to go ahead and say Dark Souls, you know, this is a game for you if you love that 8-bit sensibility because it is wonderful. So second game I played this week. I told you all last week that I had an audiobook going on called Blood, Sweat, and Chrome, Mm -hmm. which was all about the making of Mad Max Fury Road. Yep. This gave me a little bit of Mad Max fever. (laughs) And instead of, for the hundredth time, putting on Mad Max Fury Road, which I'm still going to do, I just want to get a bunch of people over to my house before I do it. I don't want to waste (laughs) a Fury Road watching. Right. I picked up Mad Max Video Game, which came out in 2016 for all major consoles and Steam. Mm -hmm. Rated decently, but not like... Rated not the best in the world. But let me tell you about this game and about the games that came out when it came out. This is um, a post-Breath of the Wild world, a post-Witcher 3 world. I'm sorry, a post-Witcher 3 world. This is 2016... And another open world game in a sea of open world games. This is a time when Assassin's Creed was getting a yearly release. Yep. When, um, you know, every game that was released, we were right at the beginning of, um, we're at the tail end of Saints Row and at the beginning of, what was the hacker game Ubisoft made? Oh, yeah, I know the one you're talking about. You know what I'm talking about. Everyone knows the one I'm talking about. Is it Division? Not Division. Um, the other one. Uh, yeah, there's the other one. Yeah, there's the other one. It's a hacker game. Uh, you know, it's a hacker game. There's like there's three of them now. Yeah. None of them did very well. So anyway, it was big open world season on video games. And suddenly Mad Max, a year after they released, George Miller released one the best action movie ever made. Um, <laughs> this video game comes out. Notoriously, video game adaptations of movies are very bad. This game is a beautiful and wonderful exception to that rule. Mm-hmm. Turning on this game, you are introduced to a protagonist who is Max. It is Mad Max, but it's different in the same way that Tom Hardy is different Mel from Mel Gibson. Mm-hmm. It is a different protagonist with a different voice in the same world reacting to the same things. The thing is, they modeled the world after Fury Road. So you have your car and you lose your car and you end up in the desert wandering and alone Mm -hmm. until you happen across a black thumb who is deep, deep, deeply disturbed by the world and the absolute worship of engines Mm -hmm. and the creation of cars. And all he wants to do is build your vehicle because he knows you are the saint with a magic hand who can pilot any vehicle to victory Mm -hmm. and he literally the game begins with him having you gather a body and an engine and parts for what he calls the magnum opus Mm -hmm. and that is the name of your vehicle Mm -hmm. as you drive it through the beautifully rendered salt flat wasteland with the sun coming in and occasional sandstorms that will completely disrupt whatever you're doing Mm -hmm. with people wandering through the wasteland in need of food and water, which you may have and you may not have Mm -hmm. engendering either goodwill or bad will and being constantly hunted and hunting marauding 
war boys of different clans as they drive through the wilderness, also in search of supplies Mm -hmm. and a way forward. This is a truly excellent game that is very, very inexpensive on Steam and free to you if you have the highest tier of PlayStation Plus membership on the PlayStation 5. It, I can't recommend... If you like Fury Road, I can't recommend picking up this game enough. I won't say you'll love it from beginning to end, and I won't say you'll finish it. I feel like it's one of those games that may be longer than it needs to be, but such is the case with about 90% of open-world games to me. That is true. But the, this game is just fucking phenomenal and beautiful in the way that it perfectly mirrors the world of George Miller's Mad Max Fury Road. And I I played it in 2016. I didn't finish it. I'm kind of on a mission to do it now, but I might not. And that'll be okay because I just get to spend a little more time in this world and I'm really into it right now. I love hearing you wax poetic about, like I always, I always tell there's this look in your eyes when you really, really love something mm-hmm. and you just engage with it on that level. And I'm like... That's Hector right there. Yeah. This game is one of those things. It really, it hit me and it's accessible. And I hope anyone who hears me and, and hears my love for this game at least tries it out. Because it's it's not free all the time, but it's pretty close to free because it's a pretty old game. I think it's like six years old at this point. And, yeah. and, and it's a gem. And it's a forgotten gem. And I feel like you should go and pick it up. Okay. So... Couple more things really quickly that I did this week. I started watching Superman and Lois season two. This is the CW show that's not a CW show. It's on HBO Max. Mm-hmm. It's about Superman and Lois from the CW raising their boys. Mm-hmm. One of them has superpowers and the other do- doesn't. And it's basically about their family drama and the world at large and how the family itself deals with having Superman as a parent. Mm-hmm. And and, and 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 husband, which is even more complicated. Mm-hmm. This show is phenomenal. I can't recommend the first season enough. It's it sounds literally really wholesome. It, it is wholesome and it's interesting and it's the best characterization of Superman I feel like we've ever gotten on screen. Mm-hmm. Most Superman stories are about how he's either a god or just coming into his powers or just coming into his powers and is a latent God. Or you have something like Smallville that dances around the fact that he can literally lift the earth into the sun and like, they just, they don't deal with that shit. Yeah. This show deals with all of that and family dynamics and is interesting and is heartfelt and has good writing. And when I say good writing, I'm honestly comparing it to the rest of the CW shows. The bar is low. The bar is low. It's not Breaking Bad. It's not Better Call Saul. But you know what? It's way, way, way better than The Flash or Arrow. (laughs) It's absolutely worth your time in a writing sense and in a special effects sense. The thing that they do, the reason it's airing on HBO Max is because the show has a higher budget and it really is trying to make the best of it to the best Superman story they have. Right. Season two just started with a very emotional opener, and I can't wait to see more. It's really good. I think you should check it out. The very last thing I have before James starts is a documentary that I saw on Netflix this weekend mm-hmm. called Woodstock 99. Oh, I watched that too. Yeah. Maybe what a it, shit show. Yeah. Do you want to do that now or at the end of your bit? I mean, we can just talk about let, it Let's here. do it now. Okay, so Woodstock 99. For anyone old enough to know what that is, we tried to do Woodstock again in 99. It didn't go well. It didn't go well. Thing is, we tried to do Woodstock again in 94. It didn't make any money. Yeah. It didn't make any money because like a bunch of people who didn't pay showed up and cut a hole through the fence and walked in. And there's the venue and the show, the, the people who organized it, they didn't make any money. Because like half the people in there didn't pay. Right. Anyway. 
Woodstock 99 rolls around. They get the biggest bands at the time. And if anyone knew who the biggest bands at the time, you might be able to see where this show is going. Um, and they erect a massive wall around the venue that nobody could possibly get through. Mm -hmm. And then at the gate, they pull everything out of your pack that could be nourishment of any kind. That's all your water, all your food. Mm -hmm. Um, probably your chapstick, like fuck, yeah. like anything that you could possibly put into your body that would keep you from dying. They took from you. Yeah. So yeah. you wander in among the other 250,000 people mm -hmm. who were in this in abandoned military base mm -hmm. trying to watch the shows from the latest and greatest artists of their times were gouged, and remember, this is 99, with $4 bottles of water mm -hmm. and, like, infinitely priced food. All prices were based on scarcity. And when you realize that the water at the base was contaminated and they were told to stop drinking it, it becomes very scarce very fast. Yeah. So by the first day when corn went on, there, there, there were problems. There were riots. Things were getting torn down. Mm. Um, by the second day when you had La Biscuit come on, and this is where all the music people are like, oh, yeah, I remember the, <laughs> the late 90s. When La Biscuit comes on and is crowd surfing on a wooden board that they have pulled out of the impenetrable wall, mm -hmm. asking the audience to vent their frustrations with their life problems, their family problems, their Alcohol problems or drug problems, their their venue problems. Mm -hmm. You have a riot starting. By the third day, when Red Hot Chili Peppers comes on and is like, you know what fucking sucks? The government. You basically have people burning shit down, mm -hmm. stealing things from the venue and driving them down through and into the crowd. It's the biggest shit show I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. And I'm so glad there's a documentary. It's on about Netflix. It. Watch it. It's only three Watch parts. It. Like 40 minutes an episode. So yeah, good. you will. It, it, if you're as old as we are, it's a blast from the past. Mm -hmm. If you're younger than we are and you don't remember Woodstock '99 or any of the news around it. It, it it's a trip like yeah. it, it's one of those things that you watch and you're like how was any of this allowed to happen? This is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Yeah. It's one of those. Yeah. Yeah. Watch it. So just a couple quick things for me. I've uh, been working on the game Stray. I'll probably try and finish it this weekend. It's adorable. It's about cat, a cat. It's I fantastic. Be a cat. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Uh, we watched Evo this weekend, which is the oh, uh, fuck yeah. fighting game, big fighting game tournament. Mm -hmm. um, we watched a lot of it. We oh, watched, we watched so much Evo. We yeah. watched like all three days. We watched a good portion of... Um, we practically watched the uh, Street Fighter finale side by side. Yeah. Yeah. Just, you know, watching the, 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 the champion and, and the... Oh man, Street Fighter Five was such an upset, and it was. it was such an interesting and awesome tournament because it's probably the last time Street Fighter Five is played at Evo. So yeah. It, it, yeah, it had some feels to it. And then Guilty Gear, oh man, that Guilty Gear as a game that I have just recently started playing and that James is familiar with. Those were some matches. Yeah, they were. Like oh. we're talking like down to the last hit. Oh matches. yeah, yeah. Uh, the other thing that we did this week, though, that's very important for us to talk about, and we will not spoil it, is we both did watch Prey, the new oh. Predator movie on Hulu. Yeah. yeah. Holy shit, this movie. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna start, but I'm gonna be brief because James is the Predator fan <laughs> in the group. Not that I'm not a fan of the Predator movies. I grew up loving Predator Two, and I only because there was a copy in my vicinity when I was a child. And only in my teens that I actually get to go out and rent and watch Predator 1, the Arnold Schwarzenegger one. Mm. Um, 
And I've seen all the AVP movies. I, you know, I was in high school in the late 90s and early 2000s. Mm. I saw all that stuff. I even saw Predators. I've even been to some of the locations they filmed the Predators at because mm-hmm. it's Robert Rodriguez and he filmed it near Austin. Yeah, at McKinney I've, Falls. I've actually been to uh, Robert Rodriguez's uh, studio. Yeah. I had to go. I went there to audition at one point. Oh, yeah. And Troublemaker. They, they actually had like all the Predators stuff like in the building. It was really cool to see. Yeah. There's some outdoor locations that they filmed at McKinney Falls that I had literally been hiking at like three weeks before I went to go see the movie. I was like, oh, shit. Uh, yeah. So I've seen all these movies. Prey was by far my favorite Predator movie. Mm-hmm. Like by a lot. And the old ones, especially one and two, do age really well for me. I mean, there's some problematic shit like in all 80s and 90s movies. But overall, they really hold up and they really get across the idea they're going for, which a lot of the AVP movies don't. A lot of the games don't. Like they don't understand like the Predator thing. Yeah. This movie absolutely understood it. It did. And then it like really, really, really turned it on its head with the dichotomy of what the Predator was up against. Because obviously the Predator is not the protagonist. Right. And like, I don't want to say anything to spoil the movie. I will just say that it is my favorite. It was fucking awesome. And I'm going to watch it again soon. Yeah. Um, There is a, what they call the Comanche dub because it was originally slated to be filmed um, using the Comanche language. Mm -hmm. But the powers that be said like, no, we got to put it in like white people language. And they're like, fine, but we'll do a Comanche dub. And they're like, yes, it's acceptable. Um, It is a beautiful movie. It is gorgeously shot. It, it can come off a little bit slow to begin with. But if you go back and watch the original Predator film, the original Predator film was actually a bit slow to begin with, too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, so much about this movie is so rooted in just, like, love for the franchise, specifically the first two movies. Um, every little detail was there. Anything that I thought that I would complain about it as a fan of the Predator series, as somebody who's read comics, the books, like watch the movies, listen to audiobooks, listen to people tell five hour YouTube videos on the Predator itself. Like any problem that I would have had with it, I was just like, no, this is fucking great. Yep. And like, uh, Mid Thunder is her name. Uh, Amber Mid Thunder. Give her more things. Yes. Yes. She was in Legion for anyone who can't recognize her in the movie, and but yeah. fucking know they've seen her somewhere before. Yeah. It was Legion. Yeah. You saw her in Legion. Noah Hawley knows talent when he sees it. Yeah. And she is it. Prey is amazing. It only came out last week. We will not spoil it. I'm telling yeah. you that if you have any interest in the Predator franchise, even if you've never seen a Predator movie before, yeah. this is probably the one to go see. Yeah. It's on Hulu. If yeah. you're outside the United States, it's on Disney Plus. Yeah. Watch it. Yeah, definitely watch it. All right, that's everything that we have for the prelude this week. We're going to take a small break. When we come back, we'll be going into our main news segment in the Weekly Raid. The Weekly Raid. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the show. This is the Weekly Raid, our news roundup for the week. There's a lot to talk about, so let's dive in. Kicking things off, Shudder is ready to go all in on Halloween starting on September 1st. They are setting up their 61 days of Halloween and will include a ton of content, including the new movie VHS 99, which is an excellent franchise, by the way. I don't mm. really don't do a lot of camera like Blair Witch yeah. Horror. VHS is one of the ones that I do. Okay. There's the Queer for Fear, which is a history of queer horror documentary yeah. that they're Ooh. doing. Yeah, hell yeah. I was doing that. And even a brand new Dario Argento film that is God coming damn. to Shudder. Oof, that's a legend at work right there. Yeah, I mean, if you are if you don't know him by name, you probably know him by his movies that he's done, such as Suspiria. Oh, yeah. He is a yeah, yeah. legend. And the fact that Oof. he's got a, a title that's coming to Shudder, 
for the 61 days of Halloween. Not going to lie. When we were talking about doing the Patreon thing earlier, mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, I'm kind of inspired by that. We should start our, our Halloween special like mid-September. Oh, yeah. Like really get in the mood for it. No, that sounds awesome. I love the idea of starting Halloween early. Give me more of that. Absolutely. Keeping the horror holiday spirit going, a poster was released for an upcoming Amazon horror film called, wait for it, Amityville Thanksgiving. Oh. The story is that a couple is spending their holiday in therapy because their relationship has fallen apart. The counselor recommends an isolated cabin retreat to save their family. Quote, strange visitors, visions, and occult items haunt their stay, coming to peak on Thanksgiving Day. Little do they know that the doctor plans to end their sessions as well as their lives with a devilish dinner and then as the main course. The movie tagline for this is get stuffed. Mother Clucker. So, question uh, (laughs) for James. Yeah, sure. Um, How can I help? Did you, in theaters, see Roadhouse, the um, Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez double feature? Grindhouse. 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 Uh, Yes, I did, actually. So, you have seen their fake trailer, Thanks Killing. The one that Eli Roth did, I think? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks Killing. Yeah. That's what this sounds like. That's all I can think of when I think of this is thanks killing. It's just like, you know, some like some guy who's been killing people with a knife just fucking your Thanksgiving turkey in front of your dead bodies around the Thanksgiving table. Like, yeah. Hector, um, I would love to live in your head for like five um, minutes. Like, it's I thought, mostly movie references. So. Apparently it is. So the thing about this is, um, no, no, no. I, I love this to death. Uh we're going to watch it at Thanksgiving. I, I feel you and like, I are going to set up a Thanksgiving date. We're going to watch this fucking movie. I feel like a lot of relationship theory could, therapy could benefit from a haunted house, like an actual haunted house. <laughs> like, imagine taking a couple, like a dysfunctional couple, and putting them in the scenario as, like, Phantasma, the VR game that we were watching right, in the speedrun yeah. the other day. It's just like... Tell me which kind of ghost it is. Go. <laughs> just like send them into a haunted house. Like those, that couple would come out either dead or fully functional. Yeah, One that's very, very true. It reminds me of that quote that I saw on Twitter a couple of weeks ago that was like, looking at the current housing market, I understand now why people don't move out of the haunted house they just moved into. Yeah, full on. Absolutely. You know what? This motherfucker make, make died. Ghost, make the ghost pay rent. Yeah, yeah. This ghost can pay rent or he can get the fuck out. Like, like I, don't, I can just burn all the Ouija boards. You can get fuck i paid for this house i'm keeping it exactly uh paul ws anderson was interviewed this week and when asked about his next project what that'll be after the current film that he's working on called the lost lands Mm -hmm. he said that he's working on a what he calls straight up horror movie Mm. now while this would normally not be enough for us to consider talking about on the show yeah what he did follow up that comment with is that he wants to go back to a return to what Event Horizon was. Okay. Paul W.S. Anderson well, hasn't, hasn't made a movie as good as Event Horizon since, since Event, Event Horizon. Horizon. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. It, it, One it, of it, the greatest horror movies of all time. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Like, there's no part of that movie that isn't expertly it, done. It was that, Hellraiser in space before we got Hellraiser in space. Yeah. It, the, 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 the sets, the art direction, the Actors, the casting. Oh, Sam Neill is so good. Oh my god! Like everyone in that movie is fantastic. All yeah. the practical effects, the the body horror, mm-hmm. like that movie hits on like nearly every level and mm-hmm. pretty much every level. Yeah. So if he that's what he's going to go back to, 
and we're getting rid of all the Resident Evil junk that he made. Yeah. And he's tossing that to the side. If I could take all of the Resident Evil, like, forced bad CG era of his career and just, like, throw it in the trash. <laughs> I'd, yeah. I mean, here we go. We're back I'm to Event Horizon. In. So, fingers crossed. The HBO Max series Pennyworth is coming back for a season three. Oh. If you're unfamiliar with it, HBO has come to the rescue as they have renamed the show in the third season to Pennyworth, the origin of Batman's butler. <laughs> what a demeaning name, by the way. Can I just point that out? Like the story is supposed to be the, the story of Alfred Pennyworth, like being a secret agent in World War II, like every the badass that he became that, yes, did eventually become the Wayne's butler. But I feel like by putting that in the title, like the, this is the story of Batman's butler in the title. You're just like demeaning like all of his accomplishments. Yeah, I'm going to expand on that a little bit. Do it. When they made the show, mm-hmm. they had a very, very, very easy choice in simply calling the show mm-hmm. Alfred. If right. I had made the show Alfred, you'd be like, like Batman's Butler, and then it's a show about Batman's yeah. Butler. And you're like, oh, I bet you that guy was a badass. Turns out shows about how he was a badass. Yeah. Cool. They didn't name the show Alfred. Yeah. They named it Pennyworth but we because that- fucking Alfred is better than that. <laughs> but we named that other show fucking Gotham. Yeah. Fuck Gotham. <laughs> Gotham is just Chicago. <laughs> like, I mean, we have a thousand Gothams in the United I, States I will, I will every come single to that day. show's defense. It, like Legends of Tomorrow, it gets way better after the first like season. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I'm sure that like parts of it are very, very good. When And I don't know anything about the first season of Pennyworth, yeah. but when they were workshopping that show, when they were conceiving that show, they decided not to name it Alfred, probably out of respect for the main character, because we don't just need to call it Alfred. He's <laughs> fucking Alfred Pennyworth. This is Pennyworth. This is where he's from. This is why he's worthy to be Batman's butler he's not batman's fucking butler he's batman's butler to everyone else but robin is batman's gay roommate to everyone else they wouldn't make robin the story of batman's gay roommate what the fuck it's he's robin he's the ward pennyworth is pennyworth the story of batman's butler is like saying robin the story of batman's gay roommate it's fucked up I'm, I, I don't you have appreciate, so many feelings about this. I don't appreciate the subtitle. Alfred deserves better. For anyone who's watched any of the DC animations and has watched Alfred kick ass in a Batman story, I'm sure you're offended too. But I hope the show's good. What, what, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, it got three seasons. Yeah, so. and if they moved it into HBO Max, then I hope that means they want to throw some more budget into it and try and make it into a thing. Maybe they've decided that the small DC stories are the better ones to tell on HBO Max. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. I don't know why Superman's family falls into that category, but whatever. Let's keep talking about the DC universe then. Yeah. In an investor's call this week, the CEO of Warner Brothers Discovery, which is a handful of a name to say, mm. came out about the future of the DC cinematic universe. Okay. I could go over the details, but I'll kind of let them speak for themselves. I'll just give you a direct quote. It says, we have done a reset. We've restructured the business where we're going to focus where there will be a team with a 10-year plan focusing just on DC. It is very similar to the structure that Alan Horn and Bob Iger put together very effectively with Kevin Feige at Disney. We think that we could build a long-term, much stronger, sustainable growth business out of DC, and as part of that, we are going to focus on quality. Now, this is after the cancellation of the mostly complete Batgirl movie, 
and the future of the current Flash film that's supposed to come out still kind of in the air. The Flash movie is hard. It's hard because imagine, I'm imagining a timeline in which they filmed Mad Max Fury Road with Mel Gibson before he sexually harassed a cop that pulled him over. Right. And all of a sudden, how do we release this movie? Right. What, what, what do we do with the press? Right. What do we do with our star? The Flash is hard. I don't. I don't I, envy their job trying. That to is very difficult. Get the but, Flash and I do have the out. perfect analogy for this. If you've ever watched the show The Flash or read the comic The Flash or mm-hmm. anything The Flash, mm-hmm. you'll know that there's kind of a running joke online about Barry Allen putting his penis in the timeline and fucking it. Oh yeah, that's, he's got that's a what bad he does. problem. Yep. Barry Allen has a bad problem fucking the timeline. Yeah. And Ezra Miller is to the Flash franchise what (laughs) Barry Allen is is to the timeline. timeline. He just keeps fucking it. And and it can't consent because it's not sentient. (laughs) It's the timeline. But for whatever reason, he likes putting his penis in it. And he just keeps doing it. He keeps getting arrested. He keeps doing stupid shit. And now he's just... Fucking the movie all to hell. But the big thing I wanted to emphasize here is that the heads of DC came out this week after so many failed DC movies and said, so we figured out what our 10-year plan is Mm -hmm. for the DC Cinematic Universe. Marvel copy-paste. Yeah. 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 Okay. The problem with this is, the problem with this is that so far Kevin Feige hasn't been wrong. And I'm not saying that that's a problem for Kevin Feige. It's a very good thing for Kevin Feige. But let me take you back to the before four, way back <laughs> in the time of the amazing Spider-Man. Before, starring, Bar- before Barry, Barry Allen fucked it. Starring Andrew Garfield, <laughs> the amazing Spider-Man. And they release one movie, which is okay. It has Emma Stone. It has Andrew Garfield. Andrew Garfield is doing a killer job. They even get... Um, uh, a comedian to be her dad. It's great. Yep. Uh, I just forgot his name, even though he's one of my favorite comedians. Oh, Thank you, Dennis Leary. Yeah. Dennis Leary to be her dad. He's also a fantastic actor. Um, if you've never seen Rescue Me, you should. Oh God. Um, just a fantastic show. Yeah. But anyway, so they they do this one movie and it's pretty okay. It's not really holding up to the Sam Raimi legacy, but neither Mm. did Spider-Man three. Right. So, you know, we're going with it. Then they release Spider-Man two and oh my God, does that bomb? Right. And oh my God, does it suck? It is a mess. It is just a cavalcade of studio meddling and bad storytelling. And they only kept the parts that resonated with people, but because they didn't build up to them in the appropriate way, it just lands hollow and the movie just falls on its face. Yeah. Kevin Feige shows up in their studio and he's like, hmm, nice character you got here. Sucks to suck. Look at all my successful franchises. Maybe, maybe we should team up a little bit. Mm -hmm. Maybe you give me Spider-Man back for like 20 minutes in the next Captain (laughs) America movie. Maybe I do something with that. So this is how Kevin Feige and his philosophy and his his whole deal rescued Sony Mm -hmm. and how DC wants to crib those notes and rescue themselves. Yep. And I understand it. Mm -hmm. I get it. And when you have this much money on the line, it... Cheat sheets are welcome. Right. If not welcome, perhaps required. Mm-hmm. When you're talking about, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, mm-hmm. people really do like guarantees on return. Yeah. So I get where they're going with it, but I think DC has such an amazing thing going right now 
that they aren't seeing, which is the same thing that Marvel missed at the beginning of its career, mm. which is they have some very dedicated, very loving directors who just love their characters to death, who want to make weird fucking movies for comic book fans. Yeah. And they've had a couple. They don't really want them to tie into anything. No, no, no. They, they, they don't want them to tie in. They don't want to be constrained by that shit. Yeah. They want to have Starro in their movie. And how are right. you going to have Starro in your movie if right. Superman is going to show up? Mm-hmm. So... Do what Marvel do what the do do the thing that was the Marvel mistake at the beginning. Don't fire your weirdos. Let them make whatever they want. Get your your directors who love your characters to make something fucking wacky about them that fans will be able to cling on to because they understand why the character works. Right. You don't understand why the character works. I mean, they came out and said that like two weeks ago. DC said they still don't understand what to do with Superman. Exactly. You don't understand why the character works. Other people do. The grace, the glory, the absolute epitome of Grant Morrison sure as fuck knew what to do with Superman. Exactly. The only reason Marvel looks successful, and I will say this because of the larger universe. They've had amazing artists, amazing casting directors, amazing everything. Directors at, at ILM, my God, along the way. The reason the MCU and not these individual movies work is because Kevin Feige is a fucking comic book nerd and he understands and notices Mm -hmm. a good story when he sees it because he's been reading comics since he was a kid. Mm -hmm. If you can't, and I know you won't, (laughs) DC, HBO, (laughs) Warner Brothers, put a CEO over DC in place who just loves DC Comics... You need to start listening to those people mm-hmm. because until you do, you're going to keep fucking making the flops that you're making. Yeah. And, may, and while I appreciate you trying to copy Marvel's homework, I think now might not be the best time because people are really tiring of the Marvel formula and you have the chance to take it further. Yeah. To, to, to leapfrog. Mm-hmm. And if, do, if, do the next thing. Exactly. And all you have to do is trust people who love the material. It's true. So Netflix got into the world of video games last year, buying up companies and releasing known titles such as Into the Breach on their gaming platform. Yeah. However, new metrics are showing that less than 1% of Netflix users are actively using or engaging with their gaming platform. Mm -hmm. And it's not like Netflix isn't spending money on the platform. They actually dropped about $70 million to buy the studio who made a Stranger Things puzzle game. This is complicated. Because, I mean, they, they put a lot of money into this, but I can't tell you if I've ever seen Netflix tell me, hey, by the way, this game just came out. Yeah, I look at Netflix minimum once a week, and that's on a, like a, a, at a time when I'm not really watching a lot of Netflix anything. Right. When I'm, when I'm majority focused on other platforms. I'll still log into Netflix about once a week. Have done so since I started my account in 2014. Mm-hmm. Never once in my entire life has Netflix ever told me I can play a video game on its platform. Right. Never offered it to me, never emailed me about it, never told me on my phone. Mm-hmm. And I have Netflix on my phone. And because every once in a while it notifies me that a show I like is back. Yep. Never told me I could play a game. Mm-hmm. I, I don't care. There's, there's your problem. Yeah. Right there. Literally. Advertise it. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. literally all it is. Keeping over into the world of gaming, uh, we're about to get a little complicated here. So Microsoft went on record this week to say that Sony pays developers to not put their games on Game Pass. 
Uh, they actually made a filing about this. So the filing states, quote, Microsoft's ability to continue expanding Game Pass has been hampered by Sony's desire to um, inhibit such growth. Sony pays for blocking rights to prevent developers from adding content to Game Pass and other competing subscription services. Mm-hmm. So let's just, yeah, we have two news items for this whole thing. Let's start with this because first off, I see what they're saying, right? Mm. Is I look at this and go, okay, I see you're complaining that Microsoft goes to developers, hands them a wad of cash and says, mm. you're a console exclusive. Yeah. Or just no game pass or no game pass. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other side of the argument, and I'm not trying to be a dick about it. That's the way the industry has been run for like, since its inception. No, uh, like, and that's, that's kind of my thing. Like this isn't new. Right. It's certainly I'm not, not this right. No, no, no. It's but, certainly not right. But like Sony and Microsoft have a long history of paying for exclusives. One, right. this goes back to the beginning of them both having consoles. Yeah. And in the industry, I mean, in, in by industry, I mean the economy. Mm-hmm. Every company does this. Yeah. Every company pays platforms not to adopt their competition. Right. Oil pays to stifle solar. Right. Um, Tesla pays to stifle light speed rail in the United States. Mm-hmm. These people have always had the option of paying to stifle their competition. Mm-hmm. And that's all that this is. And it's just called capitalism. It and I'm not saying it's right. It does suck. And it keeps us from having nice things yep. so that a few people can make money. Mm-hmm. Should it be illegal? Yes. Put that to a vote. I'll vote for it. But mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's how that goes. Microsoft complaining now that Sony pays for exclusivity seems weird to me, considering that they had the lock on Call of Duty for the entire PS3 and PS4 era. So let's talk about that, actually. Because on the other side of this story, Sony has claimed that Microsoft acquiring Activision, the developers of Call of Duty, Mm -hmm. unfairly tips the market in Microsoft's favor. Mm Mm-hmm. Quote, Call of Duty is so popular that it influences users' choice of console, and its community of loyal users is entrenched enough that if if even a competitor were to budget have the budget to develop a similar product, it would not be able to rival, uh, rival it. Mm. Microsoft has denied that this is the case going on, um, say that basically Sony doesn't want to see Call of Duty games on Game Pass Day 1. Right. Because Sony is resentful for having to compete with Microsoft subscription service. Yep. So in other words, Sony rails against the introduction of new monetization models capable of challenging its business model. Right. The other refutes to Sony's claim from Microsoft were there were five of them. One, it is not part of Microsoft's strategy to remove content from players and Call of Duty will still be available on Microsoft as a paid title. Mm. Two, data shows that players see subscription service as only one way to pay for games. Three, Sony's claim ignores the quote-unquote dynamic nature of subscription services and the fact that Sony has their own subscription service too. Mm -hmm. The fourth point actually was redacted. Just wanted to point that out. It's listed as redacted information. (laughs) The fifth and final one is... There are numerous other game distribution channels and subscription services, many of which include content that is not available on Xbox. Yeah. So, yep. More bullshit. More. This is. Have you ever witnessed a kindergarten teacher ameliorate a fight between two five year olds? Probably not since I was five. 
Well, when you were five, you probably <laughs> saw two children walk up to their teacher and start arguing over whether or not the imaginary person they both saw was purple mm-hmm. or blue. Mm-hmm. And the teacher was like, well, let's talk about that. Even though there is no person, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter what color they are, mm-hmm. and everyone in this situation is wrong, and it's stupid that I have to sit here and talk to you. <laughs> That is how I feel for the courts and the judges in this situation. <laughs> for any any lawyer who has to read this absolute horseshit. Nobody has a leg to stand on in any of this. Look, Microsoft's saying, yeah, it's no big deal that we're just changing the format of the market. They're, they're wrong. They're going to upset a lot of Apple carts. But that's fine. That's called capitalism. Right. When Sony, while out of one ear, while out of one side of the mouth says, oh, yeah, no, we're, we're, exclusivity is bad. And out of the other side says, oh, but, you know, we're going to keep doing it. It's also horseshit. None of it makes any sense. It's right. all just business. And honestly, them saying that Call of Duty controls the market is an argument from like six years ago. That is very true. If anyone saw the numbers Call of Duty and Battlefield did last year, they'd be very concerned for the future of those franchises and really trying to make an Elden Ring game. (laughs) And like, why are you spending that much money to get Activision Blizzard? Yeah. If these two companies had any brains, they'd be fighting over fucking from software exclusivity, not Activision Blizzard. Right. Um, Yeah, no, I I feel like uh, everyone's just yelling back and forth. It sucks to suck, I guess. And maybe capitalism bad yeah capitalism bad it would be great if all of our projects weren't hampered by profit motive but here we are yep and sometimes things are good and i feel like we have a really good season of games coming up at the end of this year and the beginning of the next so i really wish they would stop fighting and just start making games again right so let's wrap up this news week with some fun stuff uh, first up, last summer, a YouTuber by the name of Moist Critical, that's a great thing to just wonderful, say on Wonderful, wonderful. Uh, only the internet would you have that name. Uh, Moist Critical put up a bounty for the game Halo 2. It actually started as a $5,000 bounty and was kicked up this year to a whopping 20 k Because it was really hard. The challenge was to complete Halo 2 solo on Legendary Difficulty with all of the game's difficulty adding skulls turned on without yeah. dying a single time. Yeah. No so death, all skulls activated, yeah, legendary. So it's run. called uh, the, the Lazo Run. So it stands for Legendary All Skulls On. It was completed this week by runner Jervalin. Uh, Gerval, uh, when, he, when he actually pulled this off, no deaths, all skulls, hardest difficulty, his family rushed into the room and hugged him the moment it happened. They mm. were all watching. I, it's, it's hard to explain to anyone who's never played Halo 2 or isn't into the speedrunning community or hasn't mm-hmm. ever just watched someone play a video game and, and like achieve something that yeah. they didn't even think was possible. And the, the added bonus here is that, is that this is someone with a family and that knowing that it was done, they earned $20,000 that was obviously really going to help their family out. Yeah. Um, this is a genuinely wonderful moment in gaming. Mm-hmm. It goes right up there with like speed running defeats and like things like that. That mm-hmm. is just wholesome. And it feels like these days in, at our age, the reason that we love video games is are the human stories. And this is definitely one of them. I mean, but, one of the reasons that we watch games done quick every year, twice a year. Oh, yeah. is not only for the cool speed runs. 
But I personally am always watching on Saturday night before it rolls over into Sunday. Yeah. The final day for seeing how big that dollar value to Doctors Without Borders. Yeah. Or the uh, Prevent Cancer Cancer Foundation. Foundation. Yeah. And it's always like two and three million dollars. And the closer it gets to the end of GDQ, the more money, the money ramps up. Oh, big time. And that's why you're always watching on Saturday night. You're like, oh, this is going to get fucking crazy. Yeah. Um, and that's what I love because they're just like, holy crap, we just broke $3 million for the, you know, Prevent Cancer Foundation. Yeah. I'm like, that kind of stuff gives me life. Oh, absolutely. If anyone's interested in any of this stuff, you can look up the Lazo run. You can watch the video of him completing the run. If that's something you like, look up the YouTube channel Summoning Salt. Yeah. He does mm-hmm. short documentaries you know, around an hour or so. Very about chill. a very very chill, very wonderful soundtrack. And it's about games you probably played as a kid. Uh, NES, Super Nintendo style games for the most part, and what the speed runs and the world records are at now, and the road that the people took who have them took to get there. Yeah. And you get these moments of celebration and satisfaction mm-hmm. that you saw in that video, and it, it warms your heart and it makes you. It makes you feel really proud of the hobby you have, especially if yeah. you're my age and you grew up with people telling you it was a waste of time. All the time where we told that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. So for our final bit of news this week, I want to keep it on an up note. Um, it was announced that loot boxes and Overwatch will no longer be purchasable at the end of this month. Uh, you'll still be able to earn them in game uh, up until the release of Overwatch 2. Mm-hmm. And any loot boxes that you've earned before Overwatch 2 um, will just be opened automatically. Yeah, like you okay. open Overwatch 2, all your loot you boxes open up. Boom, you get credit for it. There you go. Okay. So loot boxes are finally a dying art form. Yeah, good. Overwatch, I'm, aside from mobile games, was one of the last games to really still be holding on to that business model. Honestly, yeah. Even like like all of the all of the battle royales that I can think of with season passes that still let you earn loot boxes have never had good odds in them, and they would be probably more than happy to take them out. Yeah. Um, and I, some of those services did away with them a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing most games launched these days that are in this format. Free-to-play, mm-hmm. um, selling cosmetics, and battle having passes. season passes, battle yeah. passes. Um, yeah, uh, loot boxes are going away and fucking good readings. Yeah. Yeah, it was a it was a crappy business model. Get your, get your fucking loot boxes out of my Overwatch, please. But yeah, straight up. And um, if you're one of those people who has like 400 loot boxes because you played Overwatch since 2016 and you stopped opening them around 2018, you don't even have to anymore. You'll They're just get credit. They're just going to do it for you. Yeah. All you have to worry about is your silver border. Yep. Or your gold border, mm-hmm. if you're one of those. I'm not going to be getting that far. Oh, God. I got a silver border from since 2016. I'm not getting a gold border. <laughs> no, there's no way. I, God damn. No, I just got my silver border. Yeah. All right. That's everything that we have for the news this week. But stick with us because we have a lot more fun things to go into in the boss room. Hey everyone, welcome to the Boss Room, our main discussion for the week. Sometimes related to the news, sometimes not. That was very good, by the way. I tried. You pulled that off. Uh, yeah. I'm impressed. So yeah, it's, it's the Boss Room. It's not an easy scream <laughs> to replicate. Uh, we're going to be taking it easy this week. Uh, we're finally going to be talking about Thor Love and Thunder. So spoilers ahead if you haven't seen it. That's what Hector was doing. Yeah. Straight up from that. So Tiny spoiler. Tiny, tiny spoiler. Mm-hmm. Goats. 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 goats screaming goats screaming goats if anyone remembers that meme from the, the 2010 yeah. yeah screaming goats are a meme yeah all right so we have spoilers we're gonna be talking about them um we have a lot of positive things to say about this movie but there are some things that we need to talk about this movie was very divisive mm-hmm. yeah um, it was 
There was a very much a love or you hate it kind of thing here. Yep. And I'm just old enough to think I understand why without maybe not getting all of it. Mm. So the internet seemed to think it was too much fun. <laughs> this movie was too fun. Like Fuck well, y'all. When, when somebody asked me my opinion about Thor Love and Thunder, my like my honest assessment of it was just like, do you like fun? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, if you like fun, you'll like this movie. But if you don't like fun, you're not going to enjoy this movie at all. <laughs> This is only fun. Only fun zone. Oh, yeah. Fun. fun. It, it's, I mean, have you heard of Taika Waititi? Yeah. Yeah. Taika you know, he has a vampire show that's literally all comedy. Right. right. It's so good. It's like one of the best shows on television. Yep. Um, I see why some people were upset by it. There are some people who believe that Marvel movies should all be interconnected. They should all tie into the next big Marvel thing. And I get it. Like phase four has kind of been a burnout point for some people. Yeah. It's, and like, it's because it doesn't, it's felt very directionless. Right. It feels like we're not building towards anything. I mean, right. to be fair, it took up until Avengers for us to get our first look at Thanos. And before that, it was just like Loki. Loki's not a, like, it, at least in the first couple of movies, Loki wasn't really the villain. Right. He was the villain in Thor, but yeah, like him showing back up in Avengers was kind of like, Oh yeah. Okay. That guy. Yeah. That guy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I get it. Like everybody wants these movies to tie into each other and it's got to be ser- have some level of seriousness right. to it. It's got to have there are certain expectations that we have when we have a Marvel movie. Mm-hmm. But on the other side, these are the exact same people that are probably complaining like that Marvel movies have become too much of the same. Right. And I'm like, but you can't have it both ways. You can't have both. You can have one thing you ask for or the other. Right. They do not work together. Yes, we are not having our cake and eating it too here. Taika yep. Waititi has given us a Marvel movie that is vastly different than other Marvel movies, that is fun, that is lighthearted, that is um, funny and sad at times, weirdly. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like it, it has a range of emotion and comedy, and so it makes you feel things. Here's my take on Thor: Love and Thunder, and we're, we're doing spoilers, right? It's been a yeah, month. Spo- spoilers yeah, spoilers yeah, yeah. are there. Okay, so so I pro- I'm, I'm trying not to. I'm I'm I'm, I'm going to do my best to give as few spoilers as possible. This movie is Taika Waititi doing a Thor movie, like he did Ragnarok, in a genre. And the last one, he decided he gets to have the Hulk and all of the shit that they were sort of working on for Planet Hulk when that got scrapped. Right, because they didn't have the rest of the Hulk. Right. And then he just like mixed it all together, did what he could with it, and made something very funny. It was almost like a buddy cop movie, but not in exactly the right way. Right. Because there was a third cop in uh, Tessa Thompson, and she was more of a cop than the the, the Hulk ever was. She is the police. She is the police in the best way. Um, Yeah, step on me. But... um, (laughs) Yeah, that's uh, well, what he did. He, he turned Thor Ragnarok into kind of like a buddy cop movie in a way, mm-hmm. or at least a buddy buddy movie in a way. And he managed to run it right into an uh, 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 Infinity War right. in, in a really the most serious Marvel movie. Yeah, in a really emotionally interesting way. Right. And that was brilliant. So what he so he took a movie, he took Thor and he put it in a genre. In Thor Love and Thunder, he took Thor and he put into a genre. Mm-hmm. And what did he have to work with? Mm-hmm. He had the mighty Thor, Jane yep. Foster. Yep. He had, uh, which is a wonderful thing that you should definitely check out if you're into comics. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had the aging out Chris Hemsworth from Endgame. Mm-hmm. Um, and no... 
No, absolutely no input from Guardians 3 because Thor was just not going to be a part of Guardians 3. Right. But Thor was currently part of the Guardians. So what do you do with him? Right. What do you do with fat Thor to try and make him Thor again? Mm-hmm. And what do you do with mighty Thor Jane Foster? That sounds to me like a romantic comedy. What are with, rom- gu- with Guns and Roses. With Guns and Roses. What, what, what is a romantic comedy? It's a comedy movie yeah. that is based around a relationship between two people in a very strange circumstance. That's what makes a romantic comedy. It works mm-hmm. for all of the best ones. My favorite is Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Mm-hmm. A lot of people uh, when Harry met Sally. Mm-hmm. You know, but, but it's basically just two people who meet in a weird way and have a weird relationship, mm-hmm. but somehow... They remember or realize that they love each other. I really love Gross Point Blank. That's oh, my that's a good one. That's yeah, a very that's one of my good favorites. One. Yeah. Not enough people have watched Gross Point Blank, by the way. Please watch that movie. Oh, yeah. I will watch that movie with you. I fucking love that I'm movie. I'm not even sure where you would find that to stream. I don't know, but I fucking love that movie. <laughs> yeah. John Cusack's a fucking amazing person. Yes, he is. Absolutely, he is. But so so this is what we have. We have Thor Love and Thunder, which is a romantic comedy, which the title suggests. There's humor all throughout. It's peppered in the same way it is with modern romantic comedies. There's a bunch of tangential stuff. There's an obvious call out to a meme that's like 10 years old. That's still very fucking funny, by the way. Yeah. And there's still all of the hallmarks of an MCU movie. Mm-hmm. And I want to get into a little bit why some people might have disliked it. Do it. The comic that we're coming from that features the main antagonist of this movie, God Bomb. um, Gore Gore the Butcher? uh, Yeah, the God Butcher. Yeah. Is not funny. No. (laughs) It's not fun even. And not it's not fun in a bad way. It's not fun the way that. Um, arcane is not fun. It's usually not funny and you're not having a great time. It's mostly apocalyptic and dour mm. and you're just kind of living through the tragedy in the place of the characters yeah. as if you were watching The Walking Dead. That's what that comic of Thor is like, mm-hmm. which is completely separate from Mighty Thor. So when you squish them all together and you have Gore the God Butcher, um, it, you know, it kind of feels like you got chocolate in my peanut butter. I feel like for a lot of comic people who came to this movie expecting something very serious, mm-hmm. I don't know what they were thinking, but that's what they got. They right. got, you know, you, you mixed all your funny comedy shit into my serious, God-threatening Marvel theology. Right, right. But I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know what to say about that. I wasn't expecting anything but a Taika Waititi movie from so, Taika uh, when Waititi. So when I go into Marvel movies, I no longer, and I got rid of this thought process very early, mm-hmm. but... At some point, you gotta you gotta put those comics out of your mind. Oh yeah, these movies are they're their own beasts. They are their own creature. They are their own thing. They have their own mythology. I mean, I remember when we were watching Moon Knight, and I fucking saw the Moon Knight costume for the first time. Yeah. My first reply was, "I've been reading Moon Knight since I was a kid, and why did nobody fucking think to make him look like a goddamn mummy?" Yeah. In the 20 years, 30 years, <laughs> I've been reading fucking Moon Knight, the most obvious costume, and it took Marvel movies to do it. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. They're their own thing. And Taika Waititi has his own brand of humor. And the thing about it is, I know, and this is just looking at the list of the upcoming Marvel movies. Mm-hmm. Shit's about to get really serious, y'all. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think y'all are ready for Kang. Right. This was this. The Thor Love and Thunder is like what Book of Boba Fett was to Obi-Wan. Yeah. We put it out before. We have a couple laughs. Mm-hmm. Everybody has a good time. 
all right, everybody put your serious pants on because it's about to get fucking serious, y'all. Yep. Like, that's the way this broke down for me. So, like, yeah, I went in and had a two and a half hour fucking good time mm. where people made romantic jokes about the hammer. Yeah. And everyone got to, you know, we all got to see everyone's reaction to Chris Hemsworth penis, right. which um, it would probably be my reaction. <laughs> right. too. Like, I would probably whoa. faint a tiny bit. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. Holy shit. There it is. Yeah. And Chris Hemsworth's completely logical reaction to being naked when um, fucking Zeus. Maximus says, hey, you're humiliated. And he mm. says, I'm not humiliated. I'm naked and I'm fine with it. <laughs> <laughs> because of course he is. Yeah. This is a good joke. This was a funny movie. Yeah. It had a lot a lot of good stuff about it and I really enjoyed it. And they uh, actually I feel like with the limited time that Christian Bale had on screen, they oh. did they did make you feel for gore. Oh, you ab- you absolutely did. They made the villain and and this is and I have grown so sour on him over his last few movies. Not that he was ever a bad actor. Yeah. Christian Bale has always been a magnificent actor. We just know too much about his personal life. Right. And about the way that he interacts with other actors on movie sets. It's like yeah. it's like knowing too much about Daniel Day-Lewis where you're like, uh. Yeah. Yeah. But in the movie, as a character, never cemented to me more so that... Christian Bale is an amazing character actor mm. who can take something and do something amazing with it. Yep. And hearing his story be similar to so many other great comic book actors these days when saying, I wasn't going to do it, but my kids said, yeah, you need to fucking do this. And then I did it. Yeah. Like that's, that's a wonderful story. And, and, that, and, and to that point, I just want to mention when we talk about kids, mm-hmm. the kids in this movie fucking kill it. Oh, all the kids, all of the all the little Asgardians yeah. are a, such a, good a, actors. And a lot of them are actually like the kids of the actual like actors in it. Yeah. They actually just got their kids and they're like, yeah, go play and be an Asgardian for us. Yeah. And they're amazing. Yeah. They're so good. Yeah. It's 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 awesome. But yeah, like the whole gore thing, I think it, it plays out very well. Yeah, you could have done gore as a big bad. You could have done him as a cosmic Thanos level entity, but like how many of those can we really get through before we get bored? Yeah, and, and he really felt like like a, an anti-Thor character, not like a character that like Thor needed to call the Avengers for. Right. Which is nice, you know, yeah. because... And, and that's a problem you run into with the Earth-level threats is like, why didn't anyone call the Avengers? Thor very clearly had a reason not to call the Avengers. Right, and the at the, at the very end of it, you have what is essentially Thor finding sympathy for this person. Yeah. You know, it, it isn't just about the physical contest of strength. It isn't about calling down your superpowers. It's that no matter what happens at the very end, when given the option to kill somebody whose name is literally God Butcher, mm-hmm. he finds sympathy for this person. Yeah. His his love for his significant other that's dying mm-hmm. and sympathizing with the big bad who just wanted to have his kid back. Yeah. It was more important than victory. Yeah. Right. This isn't the Thor that we saw in Thor one, whose only obsession was to win in battle and to drink and yeah. to, you know, celebrate and, and lather, rinse, repeat. I have, a, I have a really good point for that, because right at the beginning of the movie, they show the character, uh, the Christian Bale, before he's the God Butcher, mm. interacting with the God. Mm. And that God reminded me a lot of Thor from the first movie. Yeah. In, in his mannerisms and his mode of thinking the logic that he just did it sprayed all over everything and the way he interacted with things mm-hmm. and 
seeing that and seeing what Thor has grown into and the difference between that God then interacting with the first incarnation of the God butcher and then Thor being there, like really just, I mean, it, it's, it's good storytelling. It, yeah. It's, it's a, uh, you know, showing character growth yeah. even across movies that Taika had nothing to do with, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's just good writing. Yeah. I liked it. There's so much to like about this. The soundtrack. Oh, the soundtrack was, Absolutely, literally fired. my Spotify playlist. Yeah, like uh, the the only like I, I would be like best soundtrack of the year if I didn't know Guardians three was coming out later and was yeah. kind of hedging my bets on that one. Yeah. But like, yeah, this was a fucking wonderful soundtrack, and mm. it was mostly most of my high school um, Rio MP three players playlist. Wow, dating <laughs> yeah. yourself there, Mister Hector. Yeah, yeah. I just I can see. I try to see both sides of the argument when it comes to these things. Um, it's really hard to do that as a as a somebody into pop cultures these days because mm-hmm. you would just read people's bad takes on the internet and you're yeah. like, bro, go touch some grass. Like, yeah, there, there was, and, and I see a lot of that, and then and, and I'd love to talk a little bit about the reactions that I got because sure. I saw a lot of Twitter saying this was too funny. What are you doing? Or like parts of this was too scary for how funny it was. What are you doing? And I saw the exact same shit when we went to see Multiverse of Madness. Yeah. I saw people literally watching a Sam Raimi movie and then like clipping a one second like crossfade. That's like the most classic Sam Raimi like yeah. scene transition and being like, what the fuck is this? This bullshit's from the 90s. This is not okay anymore. And it's like, he's doing a thing. Right. This is his style. It's okay that you don't like it, but don't, like, you're just shitting on it for no reason. Yeah. It's not bad. It just, it, it just feels different than what you're used to. Mm-hmm. It's the cinematic language will always be different from what you're used to if you're from a different time. Yeah. I mean, when uh, going to that, that point, you know, I made that joke at the very beginning about mm-hmm. if you don't like fun, then you're not going to like yeah. this movie. When I was asked about Multiverse of Madness, I said, I would always say like point blank, do you like Sam Raimi? Mm-hmm. Do you yeah. like Evil Dead? Yeah. And if they're like, no, I'm like, you're probably yeah. not going to like you're Multiverse gonna hate of this Madness. One. You're mm-hmm. gonna, not going to like it. But if you found any amusement in the Evil Dead or Army of Darkness, you're going to fucking love it. Because yeah. it is straight up that. Oh, the yeah. car is in it. The car is in it. It's floating. Yeah. Um, what were some of your highlights? From, oh, from man. Um, so, obviously, obviously, the goat screams. Yeah. And I know that's... How could that... I don't Really cliche, but... I don't, I don't understand how that joke kept going as often as it did and I still found it funny the entire way. I think and this is the only reason because if it wasn't it wouldn't have worked. The reason the goat screams work in the movie is because it's diegetic. It's because we have two goats in the movie and they are characters in the movie that mm. we are following along with our story and they just happen to be around and they happen to scream. Yeah. So it belongs where it is. It's not like someone pulling up their phone and like the scream comes out and you're like, ha ha, remember that? Yeah. It's not coming out of nowhere so that someone can like floss and be like, lol, remember culture? Right. It's literally part of the movie That's in true. a diegetic way and we're getting it through that lens not through the but meme it's also lens. but it's also speaking to the meme part of your brain yeah but it but the thing was the meme was funny not because it was a meme but because a goat screaming into the ether is fucking funny right and all you have to do is put that in a different context to keep it funny right. if it was a reference to something in the past other than in our own brains it wouldn't have been funny right that's why the goat scream works, and that's why I appreciate it. Okay. Um, other highlights. I mean, literally every scene with Natalie Portman. Yep. I love Natalie Portman as Thor. That is just 
fucking wonderful. Yeah. We haven't seen enough of that. We've gotten some of it in like the Captain Marvel like movies, but just watching like a lady kick ass is always my thing. I'm a re- I, I succumb very easily to like epic tears, and women are always my trigger. But maybe it's because I was raised by women. I don't know. But like watching them in a situation where they like overcome adversity either easily or through great, uh, you know, great uh, effort. Just like just handing some people their ass when the people thought they couldn't like that's that's my thing. I love yeah. that shit. It gets me every time. And every time she was on screen, I was very happy. Yeah. It was just good, you know, watching her kick ass after coming from an entire movie series where she was sidelined. Right. It was just fun. And then watching her not really know what to do with herself was fun. I saw people saying, like, she has a PhD. Why is she being so awkward? It's like only someone without a PhD would make that argument. <laughs> right. Like, fuck, you think people with PhDs just have their shit together and they're always, like, walking NPR? No, they're humans. They're nerds. They probably haven't had a lot of sex or talked to a lot of different people who don't have PhDs. Right. If you suddenly made them stars, superstars, and gave them superpowers, they'd probably be really awkward yeah. that's why this is a good character yeah tessa thompson tessa thompson valkyrie i've always loved valkyrie i've loved her before she was valkyrie mm-hmm. i loved her in um creed the uh the the, the continuation of the rocky movies mm-hmm. I, I i pretty much love everything she's in just because she's great yeah um her characters tend to be a certain archetype, but she does it so, so well that it always feels a little bit different. Yep. And she can bring a soul to that, to that character that is like, you know, not really willing to give you everything, but you know, mm. sometimes she can sing and sometimes she's a Valkyrie and mm. sometimes she's a little gay and sometimes she's all of those things, mm. but it's just, yeah. Tessa Thompson forever. I Put her in more there, things. One of the criticisms that I saw is they were like, Oh, well they kind of like, you know, really took the wind out of like Valkyrie sales when you see her and she's like doing old spice commercials and stuff like that. I'm like, um, my, my man's the, and I'm speaking to my man's because I know that, that that's probably the comic book dude that's yep. coming out and having this problem. I'm like my men's yep. here's my issue with this. They are refugees <laughs> on a foreign planet trying to re-kickstart their economy and their civilization. If somebody walked up to an Asgardian saying, look, we're going to give you a contract and give you a shit ton of money to help yeah. your community if you just plug this deodorant, motherfucker, they're going to do it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. This and that's the ridiculous part of superheroes that we don't talk about. It's the thing that we see in The Boys. Oh, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. The Boys does it's, it. It's, it's, it comes with ad deals, and you'd be right. an idiot not to take them. Right. They're just driving a truck full of money to your house. Right. They're like, oh, well, we could just try and not take the money and then just be farmers for the next several decades and just farm and hope that our community can thrive or Old Spice will drive a yeah. jump truck full of money up to us and we can build a civilization. Yeah. And people like to pretend that superheroes don't need money. Of course, fucking superheroes need money. Superheroes need money for everything. Iron if, Man. Ah, Iron Man. Literally, his power, a lot like Batman, is that he's rich. Yeah. That's that's his superpower. It's freedom. Yes, he's a genius, and so is Batman. But their power comes from money. There are a lot of geniuses in Batman who don't have his money who are super villains. Yeah, just let that marinate for a second. Harley Quinn has a PhD and probably a lot of student loans. Oh yeah. Why do you yeah. think she does? What um, she does at fucking Edward Nigma, Victor Freeze, fucking Cobblepot, Doctor. Victor Freeze. Dr. Freeze. Also, My bad. PhD probably has a lot of student loans. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd be surprised. Actually, a lot of the, Batman's the, villains are doctors. Yep. Like, there's a ton of his people, his like Rose Gallery, that are doctors. Mm-hmm. Look, man, I'm just saying for student loan forgiveness, and you would save Gotham. Oh yeah, straight up. Uh, just a little bit of financial help anywhere would save Gotham. Right. But but that's kind of my thing. Is like that everyone needs money, and yeah, she, she would absolutely take that deal, and so would all of Asgard. The fact that there is a fucking Thanos glove snow cone <laughs> shop. In New Asgard makes perfect sense to me. The fact that it that was, one did seem a little weird. The fact that it's surrounded by cruise ships makes sense to me. That did make sense, yeah. And yes, it's all a problem, and yes, it all brings it down the notch. But maybe the people complaining about it should ask why, and then go vote. Yeah, not complain about Thor movies. Yeah, maybe, uh, maybe vote for your leftist politician. The <laughs> same. Maybe one here in Texas that uses the word motherfucker. On oh, occasion. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, who calls a motherfucker a motherfucker he, when a motherfucker's he, being a motherfucker? He did. That was so good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, current politics. But yeah, there was so much to love about Thor, Love and Thunder. I mean, it was hopeful. It was sad. It was um, It was just fun. Yeah. Like, it was just unabashed was good. fun. Yeah. Like I, I walked out with a smile on my face. Like, I like... I walked out of Multiverse of Madness and I was like, you know, when that comes back on, when it comes out on Disney Plus, I definitely want to watch that. Oh, and before yeah. I even thought about what we were going to be doing this episode, I was like, God, when is that coming to Disney Plus? I really yeah. want to fucking watch that. I want to watch again. that again. And you know what I want to do? And yeah. we, need, we need to make sure we can do this. I want to watch it and then watch the assembled for it. Oh, yeah. Let's do that back to back. Yeah. We should yeah. do that. We That's do a double that. feature that I need. Yeah, we should absolutely do that. Yeah. It'll probably come out actually when the... But they, they usually the, come out at the same time. Yeah. So mm-hmm. with that, let's make it a date then. Hell yeah. So there's everything to love about Thor Love and Thunder. Yes, there are complaints and there are criticisms, but honestly, like I said, at the very beginning, the top of it, the top of all of this, if you don't like fun, you're not going to like this movie. Yeah. Sorry. It's yeah. fun. It's everything that I... The thing is, is about comic book movies come from comic books and not every comic book is Watchmen. Not every comic book is Transmet or The Walking Dead. If you go back and read the history of Thor comics, a lot of them are bad. A lot of them are really fun. A lot of them really take the uh, the lore of like Nordic culture very seriously and literally. And it's like at some point knowing what we have in store for us, what is right around the corner in the next level of the MCU. We're talking Mm -hmm. about Kang. We're talking about secret invasion, right? We are talking about Captain America, Sam Wilson, Captain America getting his first movie coming out of dealing with the fact that basically everybody just said, we don't want a black Captain America. Let's enjoy something for a fucking minute. Yeah, and, yeah, and and I think it was smart of them to take this break to really build up Phase Five. Yeah, like because yeah, things are about to get pretty serious, and it's nice to have a bit of a break. It is, and introduce some new characters and catch us up with some old characters, mm-hmm. and like you know, nicely tie off their storylines, like we're about to do with Guardians, mm-hmm. and see what comes next. But you know, and more importantly, Korg got a husband, and Korg finally got himself a husband. Well deserved. I'm, I'm Hashtag so, find Korga husband. Right. It's, it's been completed. It's, it's been we completed. did it. We did it, y'all. Yeah. That's everything that we have for our show this week. I hope you liked our mostly spoiler-free version of Thor Love and Thunder. If you haven't seen it, absolutely take the time to do it. Do watch Fingers that. crossed that it will be coming to Disney Plus soon with the Assembled, because I actually do want to watch that. Oh, We're yeah. just going to get really drunk and watch that shit. Fuck yeah. It's going to be amazing. That fucking soundtrack. Um, so... Don't forget that you can head over to goodnight.gg, where as a patron of our show, you can uh, 
donate to us. And like I said, we're going to be doing a whole Halloween special. Oh, yeah. We got some Halloween content coming up. It's out in the ether. I will pick a list of horror movies that Mm -hmm. I'm going to make you watch. And we will talk about them just on Patreon. Hell, yeah. And get your responses to them. I've already got the list brewing in my head. Um, You can head over to Facebook.com slash GNGGCast where you can chat with us. As well as hit me up at GNGGCast on Twitter. I'm on there way too much. Probably unhealthy for me. Mm. Um, But until next week, for Hector, this is James. And for James, this is Hector. Everyone, good night. And good game.